want you guys to see that. God will never violate his word, but he may violate your interpretation of his word until you get the proper interpretation, then it will all make sense. How are we doing? All right. God is bigger than his book. The Bible does not contain God, it reveals God. All right, I was just, I'm just going to keep going here. Psalm 119.11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we're going to find um, principles for kingdom living. We're going we're to treasure those things. Um, but then there's those times when the Bible seems to leap off of the page. And that's what I'm talking about when God is actually speaking. You know, you're reading, you're reading, and it's like it's good. But then it's like, wow, this is a now word. Those are those things you're going to want to take, and you're going to meditate on those things. You want to say, okay, God, I need to take this at a deeper level. There's a picture in Ephesians. I love it. It talks about being the washing of water with the word. And I'm not sure if you understand how like the laundry detergent and the washing machine works, but you know, you got dirt embedded into the fabric, and the water and the detergent gets underneath that dirt and lifts it off so it can be restored to original condition. Okay? Um, our brains get some stinking thinking throughout this, uh, just walking through this world. Not you, but like probably someone at your table, right? Like, like chances are. And so here's what happens. We get this gunk. We get this wrong thinking. We're believing lies and fear and all these things. We believe God is out to get us and just all this craziness. What happens is the water comes in and it washes us. It, it, it takes off that dirt. It helps us to see from heaven's perspective so that his original intent can shine through us. How are we doing? All right, I'm just going to go a little further here. Not in the notes. I'm just going for it here. This is good. So... There's a passage in Romans 12. It's, it's a popular passage. It says that um, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Great passage, right? It's interesting, that word transformed, it's the same word. The New Testament was written in Greek. We covered that two weeks ago, two times ago. How many ever weeks ago that was when you're meeting every other week? I'm just, I still can't get it right. My son wakes up. Do we have, Dad, do we have church this morning? I'm like, oh my gosh. How many people are asking that same question? Anyway. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same word when Jesus was transfigured. Do you remember that? When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and um, heaven came upon him, and he shone heaven's brilliance. Okay? I want you to get this picture. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God. The renewed mind is literally the gateway to the supernatural so that we can show forth the brilliance of heaven. I just had someone ask me this week, like, how do we, how do we step into more of the supernatural? The, the renewed mind is like a valve that releases what's already in your spirit. Like, we're not trying to become supernatural. If you're trying to be supernatural, you're in religion because you already are supernatural. God lives inside of you. Your spirit and his spirit have been made one spirit. And that renewed mind is like opening up the valve. It's like that transfiguration that allows what's happened on the inside of you to shine forth. That's what we're talking about with the renewing of the mind, and meditating on Scripture is one of the, one of the best ways to do that. So you're not only going to uh, you're not going to hear God by God speak by studying with your mind, only by listening with your heart. It's not this brain activity where I'm parsing out the verbs of the original languages and look. No, no, it's not a it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a, it's a coming and a surrender and a listening. So we're going to see it in a second. Uh, meditation is primarily a listening exercise. It's like a dialogue with God. All right, I want to uh, look at some key people who have got, God has used to change history, and you're going to see that they had some things in common. We just bless that child. I don't know if you guys are hearing that. It sounds like they need some help. All right. Um, Moses, he was not ready to, you know, he was raised in Pharaoh's courts, right? And so he, but that was not the training that he needed to be able to deliver God's people. He's like one of the greatest deliverers in the, New, in, the, uh, in the Bible. He needed 40 years of solitude to learn how to hear God's voice. Remember, it's 40 years 
uh, you know, he, he was raised in Moses. Uh, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's courts, and then, you know, he murders the guy, and he flees for 40 years. That was his training to be the deliverer of Israel, not being raised in royalty. That solitude of learning how to hear God's voice. David's training to be king was tending sheep, worshiping when no one was looking, and learning how to hear his voice. Jesus, he had hours of solitude every day amongst the uh, wood shavings in the carpenter shop. As he's sitting there making chairs and making benches, he had all that time to just sit there in solitude and learn to hear God's voice. It's a pattern we see. Paul, he's born again. And what does he do? He goes into the Arabian desert for years so he can have that solitude. I'm not talking about becoming monks. We're gonna, okay, don't, don't, don't get nervous, some of you. Some of you were excited about that. You're like, I, can, I don't have to deal with people. The healing revivalists. And so I don't know if you guys know, but in uh, 1948 and kind of the 1950s, there was a, it's like God just released the gift of healing on the body of Christ in an unprecedented way. A.A. A. Allen, Jack Coe, I mean, just, just all those people. And so there, there was a guy named Gordon, uh, Gordon Lindsay, and he kind of pastored them, and he wrote this newsletter called The Voice of Healing. So he had access to all of these people. <clears throat> there we go. So Gordon Lindsay has access to all these people, and so he pastored them. And so the, uh, some of the mightiest miracles you've ever heard of, I mean, happened during this time. <laughs> and so uh, there we go. I, I'm human too, all right? I, I get thrown off a little bit. So the uh, Gordon Lindsay, where am I at? Gordon Lindsay. And so he pastors all these people. And so a friend of this house, James Maloney, he uh, taught at Gordon Lindsay's school, and he's having lunch with Frida. And he says, listen, you knew all the great revivalists, all the healing revivalists. Did you ever ask him what the secret was of their power? And uh, she's like, yeah, actually I did. And they all had the same answer. And he's telling this story. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, like give me the secret. I'm not, you know, like, what, what would you imagine the secret would be? And here, here, was, here was the answer. Um, they all had the same answer. Silence before God. I don't know about you. I like wouldn't have thought that that was like the answer to the secret of the healing revivalist power was learning how to be still and silent before the Lord. Okay. I had a, uh, a dream a few years ago, and in the dream, I'm not going to tell you all of it because you know how dreams are like crazy, but in the dream, God made it clear to me that I needed to go and learn how to become silent before the Lord, how to let the RPMs rev down all the distractions so I could focus on him and learn how to listen. So I actually went to Texas to uh, um, a, a guy that I knew was good at this stuff, and Mary and I spent a couple days learning this stuff. Silence before the Lord is part of it. So part of meditation isn't like just, you know, Aum, it's... it's we're going to look at the difference between Eastern meditation, which is emptying out your mind, versus biblical meditation, which is intentionally focusing your thoughts on the Lord so he can speak to you. Okay, it's, it's a completely different thing. It's not, it's not, well, I mean, everything in Christianity is kind of weird because we're saying God lives inside of us. I don't really think anything's weird after that. Like once you accept that premise that the invisible God lives inside of you, meditation doesn't seem so weird. Speaking in tongues doesn't seem so weird, all right? All right, so here's what I want to do. I want us to do an exercise called slowing down here. And I want to just tell you this. Hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life. I didn't say being busy. No one was busy is an external condition. Hurriedness is an internal condition. No one was busier than Jesus. Listen, no one's tearing through roofs to hear you speak or me speak. Right? Jesus, he's trying to get away. They're like, hold on, we heard he's going to be over here. And they run to the other side of the lake. He's trying to, like, like he's constantly clamoring, lines out the doors for healing. Like, Jesus was busy, but he was never hurried. He always uh, was able to say, I only do what I see the Father doing. Yeah. I only say what I hear the Father say. He wasn't hurried on the inside. Listen, you can't hear God in a hurry. 
when that internal condition, when you're, you know, we're, we're present in this situation, but you're thinking about five other situations, that's that hurriedness. That's that hurry sickness, which is, guys, it's almost become like the 10th fruit of the Spirit in American Christianity. How you doing? Busy. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's almost like if you're not busy, you're not important. Okay? I just want to say, you can be busy and not be hurried. So I want to just help us do an exercise here. I mean, I'm people, they're, you know, they're on the phone while they're watching TV, right? Like someone's talking and you're texting while they're talking. Someone's talking and you're trying to finish their sentences so they'll shut up so you can say what you want to say. No, I mean, it's probably someone at your table. It's not you. I know that, right? You know, like, yeah, you're, you're watching TV, but they're surfing the internet on the iPad. It's just like, and so uh, here's some wise spiritual advice you must ruthlessly eliminate here. Uh, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You can't get hands laid on you and have someone impart, you know, a, a lack of hurriedness into you. Okay, and so the Bible says you must train yourselves in godliness. So I like this exercise: um, reviewing the day with God. It's just a simple exercise. You, uh, I mean, it can be difficult to carve out times of extended solitude. You know, you got little kids, jobs, all sorts of demands. But every day you can practice solitude for just a few minutes where you just shut in with the Lord. You focus your eyes on him. Let those RPMs rev down. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's the instructions. And so hopefully they're coming up online. You've got them on your, uh, on your sheet there. It's called the practice of daily solitude. So here's the idea. Uh, number one, I mean, yeah. Be still for a moment and quiet your mind. All right. So we're going to do that in just a moment. Number two, acknowledge that Jesus is present. Invite him to teach you. Number three, go back in your mind to when you first woke up and watch that scene as if on video. This may lead you to pray for patience, greater love, courage, forgiveness, or other virtues. I like to do this at night before I go to bed, and I'm kind of reviewing the day with the Lord, right? Uh, continue to reflect on the day going from scene to scene. Some scenes may fill you with gratitude, others with regret. Speak to God about this. You might pray for people with whom you interacted. End them with a prayer of thanksgiving for God's mercy and love. Ask him to refresh you as you sleep. So I like to do this before I go to bed. You can skip the sleep part there, or you can just go ahead and review yesterday. Just kind of just do that with the Lord. So let's just take a few moments on this. And you're like, Jim, why are we doing this? Because we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. I want you guys to actually get a chance to practice these things, not hear them, then go into the busyness and forget everything, right? So I want to give you a chance to to roll up your sleeves and do this. And so let's take about three minutes for this. And so if we could... um, just not talk during this time so people uh, have the most chance to actually practice the solitude. And so if we could get, a, I forgot to tell you guys, if we could get a little background music without words, that would be great. So, all right, see you guys in three minutes.
That's time. How many of you, that went by pretty quickly? How many of you, your mind wandered like a college student with a URL pass all over Europe? It's okay. We're just, we're just practicing. It's all right. Like a toddler through a toy store, right? It's okay. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take uh, two or three minutes and just debrief with your table. Hey, what was this exercise like for you? You know, I mean, you just, you, this, is a ch- you know, this is church. You can be honest with each other. And so, and it's okay to, to need to grow in it. So just take about two or three minutes, just debrief. Uh, you know, how did you do with this exercise? What was it like for you?
Let's take about another 30 seconds. All right, let's start winding it down. All right, let's talk about the difference between uh, Christian meditation and Eastern meditation, because I think when we hear meditation, a lot of people just go to the Eastern one. So here we go. Uh, you got a little chart on this. If we could, the music, there we go. Eastern meditation involves emptying your mind of all the thoughts and detaching yourself from the world. Biblical meditation, we intentionally think about God's thoughts and enter into his world. I like that. Eastern meditation, silence is an end in itself, for there is no personal God. In biblical meditation, we are silent so that we can hear what our personal God is saying. Eastern meditation seeks union through endless meditation. Here's the good news, guys. As Christians, we've already been united with God in one act of faith, right? because of what Jesus has done. So biblical meditation, it seeks to allow God to unveil what this union means and for us to experience the power of it. Man, these are some bombs. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have ever seen <clears throat> like a smooth lake with like the moon over top of it. Now the lake doesn't become the moon and the moon doesn't become the lake, but the, the lake perfectly reflects the moon and the moon is perfectly expressed by the lake. Okay? So when we're meditating, we don't become God. God doesn't become us. We've already been made one with him. But through that, uh, through that meditation, we get to perfectly express that union that is already there. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, I like that. Now, the Israelites, they had been supernaturally taken out of Egypt, but here was the problem. Egypt had not been taken out of them. They had slave thinking. They didn't have sons and daughters thinking. So God says, listen, I'm going to do miracles. Those miracles are to teach you how to see, but even with those miracles, you're going to have to learn how to think differently. They got taken out of Egypt. Egypt got taken out of you. One of the friends of this house, Steve Backlund, he says, you got saved when you believed in Jesus. You get transformed when you believe like Jesus. When we begin to think his thoughts, that's when things begin to change. Remember, the renewed mind is the gateway to the supernatural. It's the gateway for all the promises of the Bible to actually come into our lives. You guys know, when you get saved, um, sometimes it doesn't feel like a lot changed. You're forgiven, you might have a little more peace, but you need to renew your mind in order to be transformed. For all the things that took place in your spirit to work themselves out in your life, it comes from the renewed mind, and meditation is a big part of that. Listen to, so, this, so God takes Israel out of Egypt, and here's his instructions to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Are you seeing how there's just a picture of just bringing God and his words into every area of your life? It's not this segmented thing. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So picture like a little box of jewelry with uh, scriptures written on them. That's kind of what they did. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Oh, here's just a little preview. So where were they, where they, where they write them? They were to put them on their wrist and on their forehead. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation next time. We're going to be applying these principles of uh, how do you study the Bible. We're actually going to apply them to the book of Revelation. See, where was the mark of the beast? The forehead or the wrist. Where were God's people to be marked? All right, there we go. What if it's not a computer chip? All right, there we go. It had to mean so. <laughs> I can't go there. It can never mean what it never meant. <laughs> All right, I, I can't go into it. <laughs> I can't go into it. I want to so bad, but I can't. No. All right, just real quick. <laughs> Let's say that I'm driving home and Mary calls me up and she's like, Jim, I want you to pick up some toilet paper. I'm like, great. And I hang up the phone. I'm like, toilet paper? Toilet paper is used for wiping. I wonder if she's experiencing shame that needs to be wiped away. And so I call Cheryl Kirkham at our church and I make Mary a sozo appointment to deal with the shame. How many of you guys know it doesn't matter what I think she meant, it matters what she meant. A lot of people, they read the Bible with a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, and they don't care what it meant to the original people. I mean, the book of Revelation opens up with, you'll be blessed, anyone who reads this will be blessed, and, and uh, puts these words into practice. Like the original hears, it had to mean something. They weren't like, this book is freaky. Maybe in 2,000 years it'll make sense, let's just stick it in the Bible just in case. It actually meant something, so it's good for us to go back and find out what it meant, but it can't stay as a history lesson. We have to find out, okay, if that's what it meant, how does that impact my life today? Because the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. So that'll be our approach to the revelation of Jesus Christ is literally what the book is called, not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's like literally in the first verse. Okay. All right. <clears throat> And just so you know, that interpretation has been through, uh, uh, throughout church history for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not something original. So, Okay, I can't, yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I, I gotta keep moving. <laughs> just so you guys know, the rapture was never in any part of church history until the mid-1800s. Okay, come on, somebody. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just embarrassing to the church when every age is like, it's just, it's embarrassing when it's like all these words and all this is going to happen and this and that. And it's like, maybe it does, maybe it's not. The Bible says, um, occupy until I come. Don't speculate until I come. Like, like we actually have something to do in the meantime. No man can know the day or the time. Oh, but we can know the seasons. And I think according to these words, when Israel's doing this, Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. Only the Father does. So get your eyes off of the speculation. Put them on Jesus. Then some good things will happen. All right, there we go. Are we okay? All right, anyone want to leave offended? Just wait till worship. It'll be an easier transition time when we do that. No one will notice. But if you see people with their coats, they're not going to the bathroom. They're leaving offended. No, I'm just kidding. 
Joshua chapter 1, 8, verse 8, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Well, what's, what good is that going to do? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. What was the key to being prosperous in everything they did? Meditating on the word. Uh, meditation means to weigh or ponder or roll something around in the mind, Okay. Remember, Eastern meditation is trying to empty out your mind and come into nothingness. Biblical meditation is I'm filling my mind with God's thoughts, okay? We're not trying to be united with God through, uh, that's, that's, that's Eastern meditation. We're already united with God, and so he's revealing through his word and through his voice to us exactly what that means. I think I told you a little bit about my dog uh, last time, Ellie, my little Alejandro, the baby princess. And so I, I love it when she gets a new toy. <clears throat> she is very serious about her new toy. So recently, I got some action figures. They're, um, they're not dolls. They're action figures for my office. I got Superman fighting Darkseid. I got Goku releasing a Kamehameha. I got just a couple of action figures. Vegeta. Anyway, and so, um, anyway, and so uh, of course, she thought these toys were for her, but they weren't. But here's what they say. When she gets a new toy, she has like this low growl that she does. It's like this, like, like I mean, she's just like little, like 10 pounds. She's just a little fluffy thing. And, but she gets like this feral, like, like, like over it. And then she's chewing it, and then she's tossing it, and then she's fetching it. And then she'll take it over by herself to like be real serious about it and real, like, real protective. And it's interesting. Um, to, to use biblical language, Ellie is absorbed in that one thing that is needful. Like, there's nothing else going on in her life when she gets that new toy. <clears throat> Interesting thing. This is the same phrase used in Isaiah. Are you ready for this? Isaiah 31.4. I think we got a picture of my dog, Ellie, actually, with her new toy. Do we have that up there? Do we get that one? It's the lion. <laughs> Isaiah 31.4, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. Isn't she cute? Yep, that's our little dog. I mean, this lion is just delighting over this thing. You could just see like that low growl and just, just you know. Okay, interesting. That word, as a young lion, a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. That word growls is translated meditate many other times in the Bible. It's the same word. It's the same picture of what they're doing. When it says that in Psalm 1, that um, the person whose delight is in the law in which he meditates day and night, it's the word growls here in Isaiah. So I want you guys to get this picture. Isaiah says the way that a lion growls over its prey, the way that my dog worries over her new toy, uh, the Bible is saying, I want to, inv to invite you to a new kind of reading, a dog with a bone kind of reading. Guys, the Bible is a spiritual book. It's not, uh, it's not like vitamins, like, oh, you take them, but you don't really like it, and, but it's good for you in the end. And, no, no, no. It's a spiritual book, and we need to approach it in a spiritual way. We need to approach it with our hearts, with God, and we're taking time on it, and we're meditating on it. We're growling over it. <clears throat> it's a metaphor. Some of you are like, oh, that's going to be awesome. Meditation is chewing the cud. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a cow chew a cud. It's actually pretty disgusting. They've got five different stomachs, and so they chew it, they digest it, and then they burp it up with some renewed flavor. I had a roommate that did this. It was really weird. <laughs> they burp it up with renewed flavor. They chew it on it some more, swallow it, digest it. That's a picture of biblical meditation. You're chewing on it. You're digesting it. You're carrying these things. You're giving your attention to it. The Lord's speaking to you. It gives you another aspect to now begin to think about it from a different perspective. So how are we going to hear God in the scriptures? So I just want to give a couple practical things, and then we're going to wrap this up. 
And so um, I had a friend who I, I spent the night at his house, and they live right next to a train. Oh my goodness. Like I'm waking up several times a night because of this stupid train. And I'm like, how can you guys live there? He's like, oh, we don't even hear it anymore. I'm like, I, 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 the bed's shaking. I thought the rapture was happening, which wasn't in church history until the late 1800s. <laughs> the left behind books are in the fiction section for a reason. People who live by a train, they get woken up by the train for the first few weeks, but you know what? They choose not to listen, and they don't even hear it anymore. Here's the problem. Many Christians, they get saved, God's speaking to them, they get busy, and they don't even hear his voice anymore, even though he's shaking right next to them. So meditation, what you're doing, listening is the opposite of that. We are giving our total attention to the speaker. That's why I had you do the uh, exercise on solitude. You're, you're slowing down the RPMs. I'm putting, guys, it doesn't have to be hours and hours. Like, you can do this for, for a few minutes. Like, something's better than nothing, right? And so, but the idea is, as I'm giving my attention to him, I'm slowing down. And so, uh, a, couple, a couple of things that may, may help. <clears throat> I'm just going to skip the John verse. Let's just keep going. How do I meditate? Number one, you're probably going to have to make time for it. I think we've said this a couple of times. You don't find time, you make time. Okay, and I'm fine if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna meditate while you're driving, while you're walking. Like it doesn't have to be in the lotus position in the corner of the room. All right, that's probably weird. And so, but sometime during your day, you're gonna need to have get this. I like this phrase: unhurried, unfrenzied time with the Lord. Okay, I don't know about you, but I some you know sometimes I'll set aside. Let's just say I got 15 minutes. I'm gonna read the Bible, and I'm I'm on a time limit, and I know I gotta move. I get nothing out of that time. Why? Because I'm rushing through it. I'm checking off the religious box. But those times that I have that unhurried, unfrenzied time, <clears throat> where there may be a time limit, but it's like, you know what? I'm not thinking about that. God, I'm here with you. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. You're going to need to make time. Um, I like to use a journal. For some reason, just opening up a journal, is like, it like brings all my thoughts together, okay? And it's like, it's like me signaling to heaven, I'm ready. I'm listening. Like, hit me with it. I'm going to write anything you say down. Right? For, it just kind of helps me. Another thing, you'll need to be silent. Um, again, not emptying your mind, but just redirecting all your thoughts to be centered upon God. And I found that the best way for me to do that is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Here's the deal. In that praise and thankfulness, it helps us become sensitive to the presence of God. It's like I'm turning my attention from this world into his world, and I become more sensitive. So I'm not trying to have this as like a five-step formula or how many ever steps there are. I'm just trying to give it just some pictures of some helpful things. Are we good? Yep. All right. Sometimes you have so much on your mind that you can't even meditate. I'm not sure if you've ever had one of these things. You're like trying to come before God, but uh, maybe you're just like in Psalm 6 and 7, if you ever read those, David's just pouring out his heart. He's just gushing out. He's got so many bad things going on. That's okay. Sometimes that's what it looks like. Sometimes uh, you got so much of a to-do list. So what I like to do is, is one of two things. Is let's say this distraction's coming in my mind. I will try to look over its shoulder and look at God and just like, okay, I'm going to focus on you. Sometimes that doesn't work. And so I've got a little notebook that's like, you know, get milk, you know, get toilet paper. Mary might have shame, you know. And so um, <laughs> it's from the earlier illustration. And so sometimes you just, just write those things down, and it's like, okay, I don't have to deal with those anymore. I'm back to you. So just a couple of practical things. 
God speaks to us through the Bible, not just by reading it, not just by meditating on it, not just by memorizing it, but by meditating it. We're turning it over and over again. I've tried this before, and I, I like this. We're not going to do this today. I found that reading a passage out loud many times over greatly helps me to hear what is really there. And so you see throughout Scripture, it says, um, don't be just a hearer, but be a doer. Blesses the man who hears these words and puts them into practice, because they didn't have a printing press back then, right? And so today we would read them, but I have found it. So t- uh, two of my heroes, uh, Malcolm Smith and Andrew Womack, they're just two of my favorite Bible teachers, I heard them say that they do this. They, uh, they read the Bible out loud, and then they also uh, write down every word. And so I've, I've started doing this. I have a whole journal for if I'm studying a passage, I'll write it out. And by writing it out or saying it out loud, it helps me to think about every word. Sometimes when I'm reading, you know, I'll, get, I'll catch the gist of a sentence or a paragraph, but by writing it down, it's like, man, I get to focus on every word. You know, like, Jim, I don't have time for that. That's what I'm talking about, that slowing down, that, that, that unhurried, unfrenzied pace that you're going to make time for. Write down questions that you have about the text, right? So a question, remember we looked at in the, in the first one, how do I know when God's speaking to me through the Bible? One of the things you're reading and a question comes up, God inspires the question because he wants to give you the answer. People who don't have questions don't recognize answers when they come. And so as you're reading and a question pops up, write that down. And guess what? Those questions are some of the things that you meditate on. As you're going through the day, God gives you that juicy question. You're like, Lord, what about that? And just, uh, it, it just be, I found that God answers or gives me revelation at the most inappropriate times. Like the, I'm right in the middle of something super busy. You know, it's, it's not the time. Like when I'm sitting there quiet, I just feel like, I don't know, I'm just being honest. I don't feel like I get tons all the time. Sometimes I do, but it feels like that's kind of like priming the pump. And then I'm going throughout my day, and then God's speaking, and it's like, why did you speak to me when I have my journal open, you know? And so I got to, you know, email myself a note. Does anyone else relate to what I'm saying? But there is something about sensitizing yourself to that, and I think it's like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be filled. It's like I'm increasing my capacity. I'm turning my attention, and then God's like, okay, let's test you with this. Let's see how hungry you are. You're hungry enough to stop what you're doing, write it down, text it to yourself, whatever. Because that's how they did it in the Bible. They texted it to themselves when they had some. <laughs> I also like to use my imagination. Um, I like to get inside the head of the characters in Scripture. It's like, you know, what were their fears? What were their joys? I want to laugh. I want to cry with them. And so you've never truly read the passage of the crossing of the Red Sea unless you felt the you know, the, the dry soil squishing beneath your toes, unless you've looked to your left and your right and you've seen a fish looking at you in that wall of water. And you, you, we can read the story, but to actually immerse ourselves in the story and ask God to speak to us in that. Your, imag- your sanctified imagination becomes the canvas that he can paint on with his voice. As he speaks to it, he's actually renewing your mind with these pictures. So I'm going I'm to give you that as a homework assignment, the, uh, the imagination the, uh, that uh, I think there, there's a thing on there about using your imagination. I think it's the leper, the story of the leper. I, I can't remember. And so I'm going to close with this story, though. This is super powerful. And then I'm going to give you one more exercise, then we're going to do worship. How many of you guys have heard of the violinist Joshua Bell? Anybody heard of him? He's considered today maybe to be the, the finest violinist in the world. And so when he was four years old, his parents knew that there was something special about him. He was taking his dresser drawer and tying rubber bands to it and playing classical music by adjusting the tension in the rubber bands in the drawer. So four years old, they're like, you know, we got to get this kid some music lessons. There's something going on with this kid. 
So they get him the lessons, and so um, fast forward. And so today he's maybe the greatest violinist in the world. So uh, he's so celebrated that now he has a Stradivarius violin, which is considered the best violins ever made. It's, uh, this one was $3.5 million. It was made in 1730, which is the absolute best of when those violins were made. So someone thought, what if we do this crazy experiment? What if Joshua Bell, unannounced, shows up to a subway, and so we got the best violinist playing the best violin music on the greatest violin? It's like, what would happen? And so they, uh, and so they begin to ask some other music artists, and, they, and, and he puts out something for money, like, you know, like, like, like a street performer. And people are like, well, you know, they're, they're going to have to have crowd control. It's going to be so busy. People are going to be overwhelmed with this. And you know, we're not sure how the acoustics are going to be, but they're probably going to be pretty good. And I think he's going to get tons of money. And so uh, that was what they anticipated. And so uh, if we could if we could have someone help us with the lights, we're good on the Joshua Bell video. Is that a yes? No. By no, you mean yes? <laughs> I did. You know what? Take a minute and discuss... Which one of the, look over your notes and uh, which one of these points most excites you to try out? Okay, I'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute.
All right, let's take about 10 seconds and wind it back down. How many of you are like, Jim, we couldn't pick just one thing because they were all so exciting. How many of you guys were that? Yeah, I figured it was unanimous. Yep. For those of you watching online, it was unanimous. There was, there was too many good things. <clears throat> all right, Joshua Bell, the best violinist playing the greatest music of all time on the violin, on the greatest violin in a subway experiment. Uh, they thought it was going to go gangbusters. Let's look at, let's look what happened. Make sure the music's up good, or the volume. One thousand and ninety-seven people walked past him. <clears throat> Nothing. He plays eight pieces, and in any other situation, people would have paid thousands of dollars to have a private concert, front row seat with Joshua Bell. <clears throat> he finishes a song, not a single person claps. Not a single one. A few dozen even pause, and they're walking for a moment. Everybody else, over a thousand people, just walk on by. <clears throat> one woman had heard him at a concert re recently, recognized him, and she put $20 in his case. The rest of the crowd gave him $12.37. <clears throat> now, why didn't they stop and listen? They were busy. They were worried. They had things to do. 
They did not know the master was at work. But if they would have paused and stopped and listened, it would have been the moment of a lifetime. Guys, today in here, everyone's busy. Everyone's got things in their minds. You have responsibilities. You have things to do. Here's my question. Will you slow down and listen? The master is at work and he is speaking. When you hear his voice, all of life will flow to you. That's biblical meditation. So if you just take a moment, I want you to do the exercise, uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. And I want you to, uh, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to have you guys uh, just read it through in two different translations, maybe answer those questions. Just look for those words that stick out to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So take about three or four minutes for that exercise. I bless you guys. I'm running off to Pickerington. Uh, we'll start the book of Revelation, so you can start reading it if you want. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's mostly quotes from the Old Testament. There's uh, uh, in 800 verses, in, in, four, in 400 verses, there's around 800 references to the Old Testament. So that's going to be a big key to interpreting it, not the newspaper. God bless you guys, and uh, enjoy this exercise. Stop and listen. <laughs>